good people of Los Angeles, tonight on the FCFC pod, we've got Stadium Benny. He is coming to tell us all about what it was like to build a stadium in Los Angeles, all about what it's like to miss the food so deeply in Vietnam, all about what it was like growing up in the South and trying to find the perfect barbecue and the perfect wings, even though there's none to be found on the West Coast. Just kidding, kind of. We get into all sorts of bags on this pod. It's been a real great one. Benny distills a lot of life lessons through great memories of, of his many career trajectories around this planet, and we're so happy to have him uh, still in black and gold. Who knows? He's He seems like he's always bounced around, so we, we got to treasure him while he's still with the club. Next thing we know, he could be in Antarctica or something. Kobe's... Kobe's uh, attacking he's the sofa scratching. and digging into the next horizon. So, Slim, why don't you hit him with the warning? Ladies and gentlemen, we are in Dweez's backyard in Expo Park, and there are cars driving by, helicopters and planes flying over, and my dog's a psycho. Um, and as per usual, there will be some profanity this episode. So if you're around children or at work where you shouldn't be listening to any profanity, it's probably a good time to stop listening. Travel more, motherfuckers. FCFC. to the FCFC pod where two scholars and a dickhead look at the world through a black and gold tinted lens. It's your favorite fat Korean. Slam. Sitting across from me is the sexy one, Josh Spice. Spice. <laughs> to my right is the bearded one, Mr. Gilhot Gil Scott Herring VIP. Gilhot Scary. I don't even Gil know. <laughs> Gilhot Scarum. <laughs> And to, my and to my right is the Pandulce man. Hey, I don't know if it's really getting picked up in the mics today. Let's hear it. Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just my imagination. I think he is here, though. Yeah. And tonight we have a very special guest that we've been talking about having on for a while. Um, someone who built the foundation that we stand on. Oh. Ooh. The legend. Stadium Benny is in the backyard this evening. Stadium Benny. What's up, Cheers. 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 Thanks for having me. Glad yeah. to finally get here, be here, be in the backyard. We're, we're officially in episode 101. This is us turning a new page, a new chapter, and um, no one better to, to kind of take us back to the next step than the guy who built it all. So, Dweez. We're so happy to have you. The first question we always ask everyone Benny is what is your oldest football memory? Oh, oldest football memory. It's gonna have to go back to uh, high school. I uh, went to North Carolina High School in Atlanta, Georgia. ATL, ho. ATL. And ATL. I was actually a basketball player. Hey, yo. I played, uh, you know, American football quite a bit. <clears throat> and then my brother, who was my bigger brother, three years ahead. He was a senior at the moment. He's like, yeah, come so play soccer. So I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And then we rolled out into the soccer field, crappy soccer field in the middle of Atlanta. 
Uh, I was pretty poor. I was on the bench for junior varsity. Um, <coughs> and we were very good. The bench for which position? I don't even remember which bench. Was right. <laughs> <laughs> which bench? I don't remember which um, bench. I think I was forward, and then I was benching. So, yeah, that was interesting because it was a bad year. I just first started. I could run, but I couldn't play. Uh, and then that summer, I kind of rocked out, did summer school because it was a scholarship program. I studied Arabic at the time because I took Arabic in high school. Went We've got a linguist in the backyard. We're going to get into that later. Yeah, so... And then went to Massachusetts, Northfield, Mount Hermon, was where I got the scholarship to go to study Arabic. And that's when, you know, what do you do with a bunch of kids in summer school for other things, too, all summer long. And then soccer was it. And then that's where everything soccer took off. And at that point, did you also start, like, watching TV, televised games and things like that more and more? Or was it still just, like, a primarily I'm playing experience? It was more playing. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was when I got back, I mean, the next year I got back and then I actually started on varsity, which is pretty good. I was a striker. Played yeah. backup goalie. Goal scorer and yep. goal stopper in one. That's yeah. This is the man right there. There you go. <laughs> Front um, to back. And, uh, no, I guess the, – so the, the other thing that happened afterwards is I also was fortunate enough to uh, get a – you know, be in a part of a cool program that I get to pick my internship. It was like a thing I won. And I worked with the TV station, so I interned with them um, during the Olympics – Ooh, and nice. then I was super hyped. I didn't watch any soccer on TV, but I did go to the men's, I think it was a men's final. It was Nigeria-Argentina uh, and also the women's final. But that was like the incredible moment where I felt global football. Mm. I didn't know what a supporter section was, but mm. we ended up in the Nigerian yes. uh, section with the family section. Nice. And then um, I just remember them cheering, all we, are, all we are asking for is give us a goal. And that was like, oh, my God, this is what global soccer really is about. Yeah. And then after that, you know, <clears throat> went to the gold, the women's gold medal game. That was pretty cool. And then so that's kind of started everything. And then when I went to live in Egypt in high school, you know, we lived next to the El Ahli Club. That was yeah. El Ahli and Zamalek. And then, you know, people love soccer, right? That was my first trip abroad. Mm. And people are obsessed with soccer. And that's when I got the other taste on the other side. So, mm. um, so that kind of that was the beginnings of my Damn. soccer start. A little amateurs to quickly international grabbing, and then uh, and it just all started from there. Who won Argentina or Nigeria? Who won that final? I don't remember. I don't know either. I wonder who was in that team. If it Which was, it was ninety six, right? Ninety six. Ninety six. Yeah. Where, where did they have? Did they have it at the Georgia Dome? The final? No, it was actually in Sanford Stadium in Athens. Uh. Interesting. So this is um, was was the the '96 Olympics um, in Atlanta as as formative as as it is around for for young kids around other cities. I mean, you interned there, you worked for it essentially. Like, the, was it a big part of your your kind of sports gathering knowledge and experience? Not really, man. I think um, not really at all. Actually, that was just kind of me. I mean, I was following around the TV crew where the House of Blues was playing, so it wasn't even that. I was just uh-huh. kind of a big. Sports nut. I grew up in a big NFL fan. I actually fa- I like sports where they had animals, so I was a Dolphins fan for a while. <laughs> and oh, so you weren't the but the Falcons, bro. The Falcons have an animal. Well, I got a long history with that, but I was a Seahawks fan for a while. At the core of it, I was actually born in New Orleans. That's where my parents immigrated to, uh, like the, oh, then the you Bayou. Can't be a, yeah, in Atlanta. We, fan. And then we grew up. My, my my parents, my dad, all Saints fans, and they had strayed with the animals for a little bit. 
And then I came back, but I'm still a hardcore Saints fan. Yeah. That's the dopest way to, to follow any sport teams. Like, I'm into animals. Let's go birds and dolphins. Let's go. <laughs> also, back then, Miami did have, like, this moment with the U and all that. You know what I mean? Like, we all had Hurricanes gear. Dan Marino. Yeah. You know? Well, it started with the college stuff. Like, the like I remember having, like, the U gear, like, when I was a kid. That, like, bird that looked like he was fighting and whatnot. That's no? a Kentucky, Kansas. No, no, no. no, no. Uh, Miami University. Miami. Of Miami. Oh shit! I don't know. Is it, is it fair to say that in the South, collegiate sports are bigger than professional sports? Does it depend on the city I'm in? It depends on yeah whether or not you have a professional team. You know what about what, New Orleans? Talk you about know, New Orleans. It's, it's interesting, right? Yeah. I think that I don't, I don't, I never actually framed it that way. Mm. Um, I just think they're two different things. Whoa. Okay. You know, because like I think, so? and we'll talk about that later, maybe, because because in terms of kind of. Um, how we approached LAFC and what we thought about uh, people's you know, acclimation to it or affinity to something. You think about you know, college sports. College sports in the South. Like college football, yeah. a thing. High school football, it's a thing. And uh, I think that it's, more, it's different from our professional sports now because stars hop around. Atlanta Hawks, you know, for a while they weren't very good. But when you go to Georgia – and I had my, my, my friends from high school, their great-grandparents planted the hedges at Sanford Stadium. You have deep history. Oh. And you actually planted have Planted the hedges. Say that one more time. Slow for the people. <coughs> planted the hedges at Sanford Stadium. Yes. At if your Stadium. grandparents planted the hedges, if, you, if your grandfather planted the Christmas trees in Christmas Tree Lane, You've got legacy, bro. You've got <laughs> legacy. Now, when we're talking about planted hedge. That's amazing. Are you saying that. that's our next FCFC field trip is to be planting trees on Christmas trees? I lines? actually stopped the guys that were planting trees uh, th- recently and just thanked them. I said, thank you guys for making this place beautiful. Wow. By the way, wow. just shout out to all the people who have not heard me say this 10,000 times. The oldest palm tree in Los Angeles is on Christmas tree lane. Go touch it. It's the one at the end. It used to be by Union Station, and they moved it. They why moved it. Mm. Why don't we go plant trees? I think we should more plant, plant more trees around here. I agree. If anyone's into that, as part of our uh, a little little supporter group, Goodwill, we uh, do pl- we do tree planting with uh, KYCC. I didn't even know about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, just check the Slack every once in a while, Dweez. <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe I should. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have more, more opportunities. It's like beautification projects across the city. But, um, yeah, we plant the trees in East L.A., and um, we will be doing so hopefully throughout Koreatown because it's so concrete dense and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. More places for birds to land and more places where animals can inspire us to like football teams that we may not have liked otherwise. There it is. But it's a real thing, you know. I used to study social science public policy. One of the things we studied was poor neighborhoods have less trees. And that's a vicious cycle where Mm. less trees means different things and they don't perform as well. And Mm -hmm. here in L.A., right, which is interesting because when you're in Atlanta, everyone's pretty dense or the neighborhoods that are of more disadvantaged or less, yeah. you know, privileged. It's like a brick building, two, three floors, multiple buildings. But here, it's obviously spread out. But if you go to like everywhere else, you'll see the difference, right? Yeah. So. Isn't there? I mean, I remember reading something at some point where there was just like a basic, base level happiness study of people who have trees outside of their windows and people who don't, mm-hmm. and it's like actually a huge difference, just on a base level that you can see a tree. Trees yeah. do stuff for us people. Giants amongst us. Giants amongst us. Mm. Cool. Beaches too, right? Increase your uh, lifespan for a couple years. Live on the beach. There you go. Everyone move to the coast. Sorry, there's no room on the coast. But come to the coast sometimes. <laughs> Every once in a while. <laughs> I mean, can we, like, when you just talked, mentioned about um, your friends. Was it grandparents that, that planted those in uh Great-grandparents great or great-great-grandparents? Great-grandparents. Yeah. Great yeah. That's yeah. Long I mean, Georgia family. 
That's wild. I mean, talk about the idea of legacy and sports teams and essentially like it's sure the college is great but it's like the sports teams uh, that make the alumni foundation so incredible that's why i get hit up near all the march madness schedules for even syracuse because they want my money around when syracuse is playing on national tv when you're talking about plotting planning lafc and trying to get to the heart of it do you concern do, is was the concern of legacy on that and trying to tap into the idea that everything that we do here in such a major market in a major city can lead to incredible legacy down the line? It's a good question. I think we were first starting off, you know, in terms of when we got to the city. And by the way, I just want to fill you in on the fact that <coughs> I, I, I came down here for, the, for an interview November 1st of 2014. They announced the team two days before. Wow. Truth. And then they got the team only a couple weeks before. So I flew down. From San Francisco, November 1st, after I just came back from Vietnam, and that was the first time I ever stepped foot in Southern California. Wow. Ooh. So you came here. Your life in Southern California has been an LAFC life. It's completely been an LAFC life. So then a month later, I flew down here and started the job on December 1st. Wow. So actually, it's an interesting the reason being is because, you know, I've had a long history of traveling and living many different places. Yeah. And I love exploring you know, new places. But I heard, you know, in San Francisco especially, oh, L.A., Hollywood, fake people, blah, yeah. blah, blah. I had zero idea. Uh -huh. When I was landing, I thought Santa Monica and Hollywood were downtown. Lit. I, I had no idea what the hell was going on. <laughs> and I didn't know what, was I, what I was getting into. Um, and, you know, for me to have lived in very dense cities, I wanted to be that guy. I'm that kind of guy. I get my energy from people. And when I walk in the streets, like, hey, that's my noodle lady. That's my... You know, oh, I um, see that for Peter sure. Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like I walk in the streets, yeah, boss yeah. it, my food, my flower lady, my <laughs> water guy, my mango stand. <coughs> and here, you can't do that, right? You uh -huh. gotta walk out, you gotta find it. So it was very different, and it, it took me a while to adapt. And you talk to a lot of people from out of town to see how long it actually takes to really like LA. It took me a while, but um, you discover what it has. It has all these treasures that are hidden, and that's what I love about LA now. But that's kind of how it started. How long, how long did it take you to kind of settle in and start to love it for what it is? It took me about, I think, three years to kind of really settle in and say, you know, I can really live here. And then five years, I'm like, all right, I really love this place. Mm. Um, uh, and I think that's kind of timeline. And you'll talk to other people that have varying timelines. But it takes a little while to get adjusted to what's here. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, going back to your question <clears throat> and you think about – how we built LAFC. So I didn't know anything about LA. And Rich knew everything about LA, right? Mm. So I met Rich. I was like, who's this guy? Hollywood guy. Mm. Um, but, you know, I came with kind of an open mind and tried to figure it out. And, you know, I did a lot of research, kind of sports teams. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're kind of selling an emotional product and feel, right? Yeah. It's a media product, emotionally feel of a product. And then, you know, you got to figure out what is meaningful to people in Los Angeles <clears throat> and how... It, it would work with all these other sports teams. So when, this is when L.A., the, the Chargers and the Rams were coming. Mm -hmm. So they thought we were crazy because, like, how can you compete with football? Right. And then you have the Galaxy. It's like, how do you compete with Galaxy? And then you have the Lakers and everybody else. I was just trying to understand what the hell's going on, right? I come from Atlanta where it's a, you know, I would say less so now, but it's a pretty fair-weather town it's when a, it comes to professional sports. It's a one-horse town. No, but you were talking to me about that, too. <laughs> In Atlanta, it's like – the, the Hawks and the Falcons fans go hard when the playoff runs are going and the, the grass is green. But when you hit a drought, it gets 
maybe everyone starts to redirect a little their, yeah. their motion towards the, the energy clubs. towards yeah the strip clubs. <laughs> oh goodness, Magic City wings! I go for the chicken wings. All right, you'll notice you'll notice how <laughs> no the, the you, numbers maybe. of the strip clubs go up. The worse the sports teams do in that city. <laughs> Is that a perfect? I think the strip club members stay <laughs> up constantly. This is not a real. This is, that is entirely. <laughs> Shout out fabricated. Atlanta. We love you. Yeah, I we did have to. Say, I do have to say, and at least to be fair to Atlanta, I think when Michael Vick came to Atlanta, it changed a little bit, right? Oh, man, and I think that's when Vick. it took off. And I forgot when Arthur Blank came in and on the team. Yeah, that might have turned things around. I mean, look, the Braves has been a stalwart there for the longest time. So I actually grew up with the Braves. John Schmoltz, Greg Jack, Maddox, Tom David Wyatt, Justice. Let's go, baby. Yeah. Come on. So, so that was pretty fun. Um, I, didn't know what, like I got my bags over it's here. the only exactly. sports baseball players you know. That's not true. No, it's a, it's, it, was a, it was important, man. That whole decade, right? Oh, the no, whole decade. The, the Braves, that, that era was, was something special. So, I mean, look, Hawks. Skipper Jones. Recently have been fun. Clipper Jones. What's Clip, his name? Chipper, Chipper, Chipper. Skipper, Clipper, and now Chipper oh, no, Jones. Skip, uh, what was it called? Uh, Skip something was the <laughs> announcer on TBS. I oh grew yeah. up on TBS, guys. Uh, TBS is local TBS television, is right? Local, yeah. That Turner, Turner Network shit, baby. Turner Network. He owned everything at the time. Hey. Shout out John Rocker, though, one time. Oh, My gosh. guy won John Rocker. <laughs> that was when I was gone. John. So. <laughs> yeah, it's cool, man. Like, But, you know, Georgia th- Georgia's a thing. So when you go to, when you go to New Orleans, <coughs> I'm a Saints fan, it's a whole different beast because there, no profes- there were no professional sports in Louisiana. There were no professional mm. sports in the city of New Orleans right. except for the Saints. And we supported the Saints every, like, throughout, even though like, I sidetracked with the animals shit, right? Sure, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Uh, well, t- we talk, to, talk to us. So your parents came from Vietnam. Yes. They probably had no idea what American football was. What was it like to watch them like, try to understand and then fall in love with that sport? It was just something my dad did. I'll be, I'll be honest, I didn't know what the hell he was doing. He watched, we watched WWF. We watch the Saints. Yo, and actually, that's an know, education. And so they moved to Abbeville, which is in the freaking bayou. You got mm. deep in the bayou where um, Lafayette, the Abbeville's next to Lafayette, is where the Raging Cajuns are at, mm. and that's where they got you know started with their life. Someone, someone took them in mm. and just kickstarted everything before they moved to New Orleans. And you know, there's an East Bank, West Bank. West Bank is the wrong side, but that's where we lived, mm. and that's where I grew up. So my mom was like, you know, he, my dad was a welder. On you know, welded chips on the Mississippi in the sweltering heat, and my mom was a homemaker. You know, getting her haircut license right or salon like Was it in Jefferson Parish? Yeah, yeah. I, I I stayed out in on the West Bank for a little bit in Jefferson Parish. Really? After the storm, I did like some rebuilding stuff. Cool. For Marrero a week. is where I grew up. I wouldn't be surprised if I was like in that same zone, but yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah. I remember it's the only place in America where uh, they're not called counties; they're called parishes. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Jefferson Parish is exactly right. So I was born in Jackson Hospital in Jefferson Parish. God, we um, love New Orleans. Yeah. It's cool, but, it, you know, it was very different back then, and, it, mm. you know, it struggles. But I think New Orleans is having a revival. It's great. Um, so, yeah, I grew up playing football. Yeah. Like, my dad, me, and my brother were out there almost every day. I was playing defense, offense. He's passed to us. Like, we were deep, deep, deep in the football. Um, I had my curtains that were all, like, football curtains and stuff like so that. And it was pretty deep. Yeah. And that's where, that's where probably my love for sports I mean, I'm a huge NFL nut now. I kind of started back in the day. Um, and then, yeah, passion for New Orleans Saints, even though we sucked throughout the whole era before everything hit. Mm-hmm. In Atlanta, we were trying to go to the bars. We were, you know, mm-hmm. couldn't afford the chicken wings, but we had the water, and we at least watched Saints on the Sunday in the bar yeah. that was shown on PPV, yeah. right? Wait, and so I think – 
on that same trip when I spent time in New Orleans when I was still in, in college, I remember there being a massive Vietnamese community mm-hmm. in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and, like, we were, like, kicking it, like, just in, you know. It, I just wouldn't have expected that in a city so small. So can you talk about, like, <laughs> did you guys, guys kind of grow up in that community, or were you guys off into, like, different different zones in New Orleans when you were growing um, up? I don't remember what the demographics were, but all our all our cousins, they lived, so there was Harvey, Gretna, Marrero, was like, and Versailles. Versailles is like super dense of Vietnamese. Mm. Honestly, you go there right now. You Still to this day. To the canals, and there's a mm. woman in a conical hat trying to grow like vegetables and shit, like water good. spinach. Yeah. Still collecting wow. the same thing. Like, wait a minute, is this Vietnam? So, so it was, a, it's interesting because when you look back at the migrations, right? Yeah. And I think every single ethnic group has their own migrations and waves of it. So, my parents were lucky enough to catch a plane to Guam mm. to hop over because they were saved by my uncle, who was a driver at the U.S. Embassy. He rode around like the ambassador's car. Wow. And he's like, okay, well, I'm taking as many people as I can. Mm. And then it was my dad's second cousin. My dad was the youngest of, I think, 13 brothers, 14 brothers and sisters. Ooh. And my grandmother said, take him and his new wife. Wow. And that's how my parents got on. Wow. Got into the car with a bunch of people. Drove to the tarmac. They opened the gate. Got into a school bus. And whoever got in the school bus went straight to the plane on the tarmac. Flew to Guam. So we got lucky. Mm. I mean, after that, they just got the waves of the boat. Fo- people who tried to escape that day. Yep. Mm. And then everyone who tried to escape the country after that as boat people. And a lot of people landed in Orange County. Yep. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people landed in San Jose. And then I think number three at the time was New Orleans because shrimp, I mean, seafood industry, and yeah. people go where people are at, right? Mm-hmm. So right. a lot of people in New Orleans, and then I think a lot of folks, and then Houston's, I think, is number three now. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, I think we moved away from New Orleans. A lot of people after the the, the storms moved to Baton Rouge. Mm. Um, but it's kind of like, I don't know where it ranks, but probably four or five, and then all the politicals moved to D.C. So that's kind of how a lot of diaspora kind of branched Yeah, out. I mean, we got we got cultural institutions here in Southern California from the Vietnamese uh, in New Orleans, right? Boiling Crab. Isn't Boiling Crab a... I believe... Yeah, they're uh, Vietnamese. They're Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. Uh, and f- and it's like crawfish. It's like a crawfish Yeah, I think they're, they're from Texas. Oh, okay. So if you watch uh, David Chang's... I missed Chang's, the loop on that one. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you watch David Chang's uh, show, Ugly Delicious, there's a whole episode about mm. how they did... How that started, right? Uh. It's actually Houston versus New Orleans. So New Orleans, we boil our seafood. But in Houston, they kind of branched out a little bit more. It's called a Viet Cajun. Mm. And that's how the boiling crab recipe, they were originals. Uh. And that's seafood in the bag, right? doesn't mm. matter what temperature. You just boil everything, throw it in a bag, shake it, throw it out. In New Orleans, it's kind of religion where every single seafood has a different boiling point. Mm. That's how it's different. So check that out if you haven't We could it. also say different. We could also say better, you know? We can say that on this pod, you know? I think it's just different. Ah, you're too <laughs> don't fight. You're too don't nice. Fight. You're too nice. Don't you're fight. right. It's not about choosing. One thing I learned from the very beginning, he was like, no, we don't have to choose one side or the other. Well, see, we can have it all. Yeah, we can have it all. Have it all. Just, just eat all of it. These are false equiv- equivocations, equivalencies. <laughs> Shut up. I don't know anything. Um, dude, that's so that's so wild. And so your folks are still in New Orleans, or they're out in Atlanta now, too? No, we moved to Atlanta when I was five, so okay. they're in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, when, when the... When the fam all meets up, it's all the hubs back in Atlanta, too. You guys all gather. I mean, I'll be honest with you. My brother lives in um, Nashville. My sister did live in San Antonio, so we kind of went where the grandkids are at. Mm. But now my sister moved back, so Atlanta will probably be the main hub again. Um, but Nashville's fun. You yeah. know, there's two, you know, i got a nephew and niece out there as well. 
Um, but they're all you know kind of close around there. My my brother's a professor at Vandy, mm-hmm. so Ooh. he just happens to be at Vanderbilt. He was at Berkeley and met his wife there, and then now he teaches he teaches literature. What? Who are your parents most proud of? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Uh, not sure. That's Ooh. a good question. None of us are doctors. Get him on the phone. Wait, are you, the, mi- are you the middle child? I is it the, the three of you? I am the middle child. So uh, little sister, big bro. Yep. And you're the middle. Yep. Shout out to middle children everywhere. Middle second children. Kids, second children syndrome over What's here. What's going on here? What are we doing? <laughs> okay. Shout let out to say, it's like, say, I think we knew. I think we knew in advance. Let me tell you about something yeah. about middle children. I just, I had to talk have to a, talk have a metaphor. I have a metaphor for it, right? So in Asian culture, especially Chinese and Vietnamese, during New Year's, you see the red envelope, right? Okay. DC. Incredible. And this is an exemplary of, like, all middle children. So, as a middle child, this is three of us, as the oldest child, they get the most money because they're the oldest child. They're as they should, as they should, yes. And then my sister got the second most money because she's the baby. Of course. And I got the least, right? Yeah. So that's how it works. That's how it works. The so least attention. You get the less love, least attention. Abandoned. Yes, abandoned. Wait, is this, this is informal, though. It's like, it's, it usually goes one, two, three, or is it like the baby will get the second always, like it's the second the most? baby, man. Damn. Think about it. Where does the middle child fit into all this, you know? You're not the oldest, you're not the youngest, you don't need help, you is don't need the lead. I mean, Sam is, you, why, you have why two do you think, sisters, Why do you think too, the two of us... So. And he's a baby boy. That's he's all, a baby that's boy. Yeah, 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 so yeah, uh, can't, I, I can't, can't front. I, I was a little spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you know, we know. Yeah, I, that was fucking cute, you know what I mean? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Dark silence. Uh, so, alright, you... It seems like you've lived in a lot of different places. Yeah. Is there like a, a place that like has like a special place in your heart? You know, it's uh, you know, uh, yeah. I think I think all of them do, but I think there were some more special moments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and all of them taught me different things. All of them taught me amazing things. I've been very lucky to go around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting because I, you know, it was my escape from Atlanta. Why I pursued? I mean, first of all, I was convinced to study Arabic because that would get me into college per my brother. Mm. And then when I discovered the culture, it's it played a really big important part of my life. Mm. Um, to found and also this plays into the whole big brother thing. I found something that I could you know I could do differently from my brother mm. and be good at it. Was he? Did he study languages too? Uh, no, not in not in not in high school. Mm. He actually studied literature. That was his thing. Wow, look at him now. And, okay. no, and none of us were. Not, he went to pre med and I switched to like English. Right? So that was <laughs> a funny thing. Failure, disappointment. Um, but but uh, yeah, it was a big part of my life. And then actually, honestly, when I was a child, I, I was reading. I would read encyclopedias and the dictionary back and forth. And wow. I wanted to be an archaeologist. An Egypt, wait, wait, what do you mean? You just oh. read dictionaries and encyclopedias? Yeah, like, you just did that. Well, I didn't read much. Just, my writing's bad and my reading's not good. But yeah, we just read like facts and. You know, encyclopedias. Damn, pre-internet like, sounds trash. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, pre-internet? Like, you don't want to even get started. I right? think about it the most when I'm taking a shit and playing a game or something. <laughs> like, what were people doing when they were, like, shitting must have sucked. Reader's Digest. Yeah. Can you imagine learning about library card system and trying to find, go into the stacks and do your research or the random books? Crazy. No, we have Google and Pornhub. Exactly. <laughs> although, <laughs> although oh, no. I'd be remiss if I didn't insert myself here and say you should register for a Los Angeles library card because you get the whole Criteria collection, Criterion collection, available for free online. You get Hoopla, which is a ton of other movies and goods for free online. You don't even need to have like Netflix and all that stuff. There's enough good shit you could just get from the <laughs> library, bro. Dude, I'm just saying, yo, if you guys Netflix. are trying to cut back on some of your subscriptions, sh- holler at your boy. I'll show you guys the way. And you can get to go to the sick-ass library, especially the one in downtown in John Fonte Square. 
holler at your boy. You guys already know. <laughs> you fucking give promote the library. Half, I, I sure half, did. I half sure sex did. in the stacks. Well, there's nobody there, so you probably can't. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of people there. And then we used to rent movies all the time from the library, man. Yeah. VHS tapes, baby. Dude, libraries Burning, are Burning CDs from the library The library collection was my dad's specialty. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was possible. Oh, yeah. You just you'd grab all the all the CDs they got and then just... I th- he didn't sell them. He didn't go as far as selling them. But, man, the, my, my dad loves Stevie Wonder so much. He's like, hey. did we get the whole Stevie Wonder collection? Let's burn that shit. Let's go. But yeah, I will say. mixtapes. That's great. <laughs> I will say I'm going to try to do for libraries what I've done for tea, which is, you know, just let people know it's going to be all right. You can all get right, interested. Dude, I supported <laughs> you on no. the tea. Relax No, now. but, hey, listen. So I was when, last time I was with Benny, uh, this is just like a very side note, side note on a side note. Uh some of Chicho's friends came to watch the game there, and I went and talked to them about. Flex, Medi- flex I went and talked to them on. about Medellin, and we were like talking, and they're like, "Oh, so you know, what did you do when you were in Medellin?" And of course, the majority of people who go there go for some very specific reasons. <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, you know, he's from the Comuna Um, which is right near Parque Biblioteca España, one specific library park of a network of seven library parks that are in Medellin, designed by different architects." They're some of my favorite places in the world. I spent a lot of time there writing when I was living in Medellin, and those are legitimately my favorite places. And when I told him that, one of my favorite places was recognized his neighborhood. His brain almost exploded. So shout out to Medellin Parque Bibliotecas. If you ever go to Medellin, hit me up. They're incredible, beautiful. They're great parks you can just go spend time at, and there's nothing like them in the world. Libraries are rad. That's it's time go. for our first break. All right, no break. way. I, I'm just going to say that I could go to Columbia and go clubbing, and then we're going to talk about some club I went to, and it'll be his favorite spot, too. So it's just like, you know, there's there's di- different ways to get to the same you results. You should go to the club, then the library park. It's true. Why do we have to is choose? Is there a strip club called one, the library both. like there is yeah. here? Why do we have to choose? You can have it all, baby. It's not always the verses. Take the stripper to the library park. It's not always the verses, Swiss Beats. Oh my god, on that note, we're gonna take our first <laughs> break. What the fuck is going on today? <laughs> Welcome back to FCFC Podcast. We're here with Stadium Benny. And we don't call him that for no reason, because he built the house that we all love and we know and love. And um, getting to know you a little better, Benny, we realize that you have seen so many different cities. You have seen so many different incredible civilizations across the world. So can you give us a, a little rundown on some of your favorite stadiums in, uh, and even venues that you've, you've come across in your illustrious career? <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Um, that's been it. You know, I never thought I would work for a sports team or build a stadium or whatnot. So I think a lot of it started when we got here. And, you know, the one thing we wanted to do was make sure that we knew how to build the best stadium in the world. That was our charge. Um, I, we were pretty limited in terms of what we got to do. Uh, but we went around. I think we talked about Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which was incredible. We watched that thing grow and build, mm-hmm. be built. And we talked to that team. Uh, Golden One Center was pretty amazing. Um, which one see. is that one? That's the basketball arena in, in Sacramento. Sacramento. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, wait, wait, were you there that night that I saw? I saw Max and Tom were, and John Thornton. Were you there? No. 
Oh, that was the preseason game against Sacramento. Those guys all went to the basketball game. Okay. And I had better seats than them. I had floor seats. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, boy. Me. I was like, oh, hey, guys. Frick's I can name I can name you basically all the dishes that are exist in that building because that that's a good stadium. That's a great it's to a be great fair. stadium. Yeah. Great food, you know. And then you know, in terms of like you know the other cities I've been to, yeah, like the Bird's Nest because I went to the Beijing mm. Olympics was pretty dope. Wow. Um, I watched snowboarding in that stadium once. What? How's that a snowboard possible? a snowboard event? They brought in the snow and like no did way. a whole thing. Yeah. yeah, you can do anything in China. Yeah, you can do anything that's in China. true. <laughs> yeah, you can do anything in China you want. Um, I think back, Maracanã was pretty amazing. I saw the Rio Olympics and the final in that building. Damn, <clears throat> uh, that was cool. Um, what are the ones? Man, I went to Tottenham two years ago. The new, the stadium. new stadium that was pretty amazing. Um, yeah, there's some pretty amazing stadiums out there. It's a matter of I think. When you talk about stadium building and what's good for you know fans and experience, I think the American the, the American experience of stadiums is different from everywhere else. Like you go to Tottenham, right? You can't drink in the bowl, and then like you have to drink in the concourse, concourse area, mm-hmm. and the food is like literally like meat pies, beer, Sick. and that's about it. <laughs> but you can't drink at your seats. You cannot drink at your seats really? unless you're in actually the suites, suites and premieres. And QPR was cool because, like, it was great to Ruben kind of Lingham. And when I went to London at the same time I went to Tottenham, yeah. he's like, yeah, come check out QPR. It's like in the middle of London. You rock up. It's a like little building on the outside. It's like a brick building. You walk in, and then you had this awesome experience inside yeah, yeah. the stadium. So it was pretty cool. Uh, we did do Christian Lau, CTO, and I went to do a pretty cool, like, Bundesliga tour, mm. I think, early 2019. Mm. And that was interesting because we went to – I mean, Borussia Dortmund is, like, something else. Is the one. And we went to Schalke, which was cool. Like, coal mining town. Everybody was smoking inside the building. And they actually, every single seat has an ashtray next to it. <laughs> and then when they do their anthem, like, you know how they, the Germans, right? They don't believe in, they want to concentrate on the game. Okay. They have one little tiny little screen up top that's four-faced. And then they have this anthem about coal miners, and that's what they do. And everybody smoked in the building. <laughs> Yo. Dude, that's that's yeah. fucking, dude, that's it's black. That, the stadium's called the Black Lung. <laughs> oh, is that right? No, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know tell the Shaka people that. They were very nice to us. That's uh, wild, man. What's, um, I mean, these are things that, like, I'm aware of all the teams you said. I thought I knew enough about their history, and yet I don't know it. Anything about it? I didn't even know you can't drink inside your seats. I didn't know about the, the lack of the lack of anthems here and there. But like, what do you feel like throughout all the great stadiums you've been to? Are there a couple features that are kind of synonymous with being great? Like, what are some things that are just like a great stadium has this, or does it kind of look different for each and every one? Why it makes it great? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it depends on how you want to approach it, right? Mm-hmm. And when you talk about global soccer, you know, the whole thing about how. Borussia Dortmund's yellow wall is 25,000 strong. And when you see it in person, you're like, holy crap. This is like the thing. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, you really kind of, in terms of soccer, look, you can talk about food program, fan experience, digital experience, and how we all in America approach it. But when you actually look at the core of what happens inside the stadium with the people, the fans, um, it's magical, especially yeah. when it comes to soccer. Yeah. And there's nothing to replace. I mean, this uh, this this sounds where you know how when people score, 
and how people exalt themselves, whether it's like bellowing from their stomach <coughs> or their chest or their, their mouth. Yeah. It's all different in different places. Mm. Damn, that's some poetry. Spit on it. Come so, on, let's go. So Meal right? Smith Road knee slide. Let's talk all about right, it. So when you think what's... about the Middle East and when you hear them score a goal, it's like, <gasps> and it's just it's this low bellowing drum that just starts a little slow and it kind of gets louder. And then us Americans, we go straight into the, the cheering, right? Mm. And then England is very different too. Mm. And sometimes they do the, and they appreciate the game, they clap. And so there's different sounds actually. When you go to different parts of the world, when you're actually, when they score a goal, they exalt themselves in celebration, which I think mm. is pretty interesting. Wow. So if you watch like CONCACAF they are the Olympic, I mean the World Cup qualifiers, just pay attention to how they celebrate and how the crowd sounds. I think it's very different. I thought it was pretty interesting. At the same time, it's all about the energy in the stadium yeah, and the pride and, and the celebration, right? Because this is when international soccer matters, club soccer matters around the world. And I think that's where we thought that we could bring to, you know, LAFC. R you know, Rich had his experience around the world. Um, you know, Henry Rand started and he lived abroad a lot. But I lived in the Middle East, Sub-Saharan Africa, Asia, and you saw some stuff. In, you know, you s I witnessed things in South America and Europe, and you try to take that and how can we instill our people here with mm. that culture to celebrate it? Because everyone here, I mean, half the city, more than half the city are just based, you know, they're, we're immigrants. Right, right, right. And they celebrate the game at the, from their you know, heritage home, whether it's like second, you know, second, third, fourth generation deep it lives and lingers but how do we actually look at that and how do we bring international soccer here and i think that's kind of part of the the the, the recipe of what we tried to achieve here and honestly like supporters yeah. standing room kind of penetrated our thesis of what we need to do in addition to that density of los angeles and angelinos yeah like i would like to compare it to like if you ask a new yorker like he's a new yorker mm -hmm. then he's like okay i'm from the bronx sure. and he's like hey you know i'm from hollywood i'm from santa Monica. Like, it's different so <laughs> I thought that was interesting how people identified with their home. With the neighborhoods. And, yeah, yeah. and, and that their density in this city is extremely different from New Orleans, where everybody is a saint. Mm. Everybody's from New Orleans. Everybody's an LSU guy. Mm -hmm. Here it's like, it's a very different beast. Wow. <laughs> was that too much? <laughs> no, I'm just I'm looking at Josh. Did that make yeah. sense? His face no, just no. awash with. Yeah. Amazement and questions. Yes. That's incredible. Man, it's 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 cool to hear just because like, I think the <laughs> the stadium ops side of it is something that we don't, as even as supporters, like we like we see a bit. But then naturally, the planning, the work has to be done behind closed doors, and understanding that even the way you're talking about the the exaltation, right? The the kind of the base that that rises from someone's gut and their soul, and then how we amplify that, like having a Having a DJ and having like uh, the fan fan fest part of it is such a, 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 in some ways I think like a cheaper version of like, holy shit, this is like a like a guttural animalistic sound that comes from a culture that comes from a civilization, and we're trying to just make that into a home, right? Make it into a home. Like I'm just like fascinated with that stuff, man, and I love that there's so much heart and passion that goes behind it, man. Shit, that's fucking dope. And also, what I love about talking to Benny about stadium stuff is he talks about these big these big picture things but then i'm also like yo but that uh you know dollar water promotion for apple pay last weekend that was fire <laughs> that's right because yeah, he's yeah, also yeah. you know you he's also he, this, well because he you know he helps like integrate like down to the tech technology that we use to buy our beers and buy our waters and like that's it's top to bottom 
have to the give whole... you have to give credit Christian Lau for that. But that's cool. I mean, I think that's one of the things that we started with was, I mean, you thought about, about what? I came from nowhere, man. I just showed up. I was like, okay. Came out of so nowhere. I, Didn't I, even know what Los Angeles was. He's like, where is it on the map? Exactly. I don't even know. Isn't Santa Monica in downtown? And we learned, we learned, look, we learned early that the future was mobile. Yeah. Uh, Christian and I had a lot of conversations because we lived in Asia. Mm-hmm. Christian lived all over the world. And everybody's on mobile, right? Christian, right. come on the pod. He's going to come on the pod. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we try to program it into the stadium. And there's benefits to going to Audition, right? You right. save trees because you don't print receipts mm. and things like that. But what's really, here we are now, post-COVID or during COVID, and everyone is cashless and everything. So, you know, but what is it? Well, the core of it is how do we make it seamless for the fans? And then, you know, the other side of kind of the exaltation, mm. the bellowing, the cheers, and you, know, you can't you can't quantify that. It's not technology. Right. And that's kind of part of the ingenious, you know, what we thought about from the beginning is what was really important for us. We don't want to manufacture sounds. And I think that actually, yeah. I never thought about that. No, Because a sure. lot of people manufacture sounds. And look, we put music on and there's a little bit of that, but everything's kind of authentic and natural and this is where people kind of really cheer yeah that was i remember one of the first big um learning not learning curves like i was open to to all of it but i just i remember the 1352 putting their foot down and being like there will be no um there will be no recording of us playing over anything like it'll be all natural in environment live no mics no mics and i was like it sounded it sounded kind of gangster when i heard it but i was like oh it's it actually put in practice like you need a lot of people saying the same shit at the exact same time to make it sound in the way that we want it to and so like I, these are the kinds of things that I think the supporters and the stadium people together can make this thing pop yeah you know I think one of the proudest moments of my life was when we played the Galaxy in the playoffs and we we, get, we beat them right <laughs> <clears throat> and I remember when you guys did the jump the LA jump I was like I don't know who I talked to I was like, if we were to do this and made everyone in the stadium do the jump for LA Football Club, mm-hmm. it's like the pinnacle of everything that we all did. I'm a social science nerd. When I what I did, my previous work was in international development, public health, climate change. It was all about human behavior. And this is all human behavior. And when I said, whatever, 3252 got the whole stadium to do the jump together in unison. That is literally the pinnacle. I almost cried that night because yeah. everyone did the jump. Yeah, man. And it was the most amazing thing that I've ever, one of the most amazing things I've ever experienced about. You know what I love about that? Last week on yeah. the same day, <coughs> we had the president of the 3252 saying the exact same thing you're saying right now. That's cool. Which was like the goal, like his dream is getting the whole stadium to, ch- to cheer, the whole stadium to chant. And like the closer you can get to that goal, like the more, you know, fulfilled he would be. And he wanted the North End to always be, you know, listen to the episode. Listen to the episode. You'll 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 hear the comparisons. But the fact that you feel that same way is why it's possible that we can get the whole stadium to cheer, right? Yeah. So I just wanted to shout out like everybody on the on the club side and the supporter side because it's still five years in, we're on the same page. It's oh. pretty special. And that's the core of everything and that's gonna be the core of everything in the future. I think that's really key. But that's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, like, it was so beautiful that I almost cried. I mean, I remember yeah. the, I remember like, you know, when you go to, everyone tells you this when you try to build a stadium. There's mm-hmm. that moment in time where you're like, oh fuck, I built a stadium, and all these people were alongside me. We did this together, mm-hmm. and then we showed up. 32 feet of the show. At that moment, when everyone started jumping, it was one, it was a whole different feeling and elation. Yeah. Right? 
And that's what I mean about the exaltation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a whole stadium participating. And I think this is what you see in a lot of stadiums because everyone's look, we're five we're like five what, four years old, mm. four season. Four season. And it's not something that you do overnight. No. And it's not something you do overnight with LA fans. Mm. You know, but when everyone's singing, jumping, dancing, it's pretty incredible. And like the other thing is like, look, you know, we talk about having kids at the game and I don't know if y'all know this, but like I pay attention. That I want to do something with kids, kids club, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. But when you bring a three-year-old kid, a five-year-old kid, they're not even watching the game. They're just dancing and singing along to what you guys do. Wow. Like, it's a real thing. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but it's actually a real thing. I mean, I try to block out children from my vision at all times. So, Sam, do you, <laughs> do, did you notice that don't, at all? No, don't hate children. Um, I don't think <laughs> it's even just kids. I think a lo- like a lot of people that, you know, might not be big soccer fans – the, the impression that they leave with is more of the 3252 than what happened on the pitch for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was not chill. I mean, children's a good example of it, but I agree. Actually, the most recent thing I heard about the experience is like you're entering a new dimension because Ooh. you forget about the all of us. And this is actually, it's like five times I heard it now. When, when I enter that stadium, I feel like I'm a different universe and I'm kind of in the moment and I'm celebrating it with everyone in the stadium with 3252 and it's a different world. It's a different perspective. It's like, you know, we watch all these movies now, mm. and you get, you know, the character gets sucked in a different world. That's what we feel like. It's our experience is that different. And you kind of, ex- you don't, you exit the LA world, you enter the LFC game day experience. Yeah. 3252 is a whole different experience. The, meta- the metaverse. The meta- well, the meta four that kept getting brought up the week the stadium was opening was the campfire. Mm-hmm. And I think it applies in that like way that when you do sit, for all my campers out there, when you go sit around a campfire and you sort of get in a long conversation and everyone's faces are like glowing and you're sort of like in it, you completely get disoriented about where you are. And by the time you need to like stand up and go to the bathroom, you're like, whoa, wait, where the hell am I? Like, you're, you know what I mean? And I think for me, it's still, it is the, the campfire metaphor still works as well because you're absorbed. But the, the difference is that we all thought the fire was going to be on the pitch or a lot of people would have assumed that the fire would have been on the pitch, but it's actually a lot of times in the stands. Mm-hmm. That's what's gathering the most attention. The goals are the extra brick right. that you throw in the fire. Yes. More, mm, there more, we go. More bricks, please. <laughs> <laughs> more bricks, yes. More bricks in all varieties. Benny, what's what? right now after, I mean, I know we, I met you initially um, at the Experience Center on Pico, and we're kind of talking together. I think you, the just the amount of canvassing you did with supporters and trying to see what we wanted, what, what we wanted from the stadium. And now, as we just said, like we're about to, I mean, season four into season five, like what is the relationship between your department and supporters now? Like what does that look like on kind of now with a, a new president VP coming in, um, with all the new things that y'all are imp- implementing back to back um, in, in, the, in, the, in the front office and what, what's your relationship like with supporters now, nowadays? That's a tough question. Damn, you're kind of rolling with it. Oh, well, so I'm, I'm a de- <laughs> Let's go. I'm a department of one and a half, and I'm kind of a department of many departments. So uh-huh. um, now I can't speak behalf of the front Give office. Give me the org infrastructure of LAFC <laughs> right now. The org chart is, <laughs> no, I think at the end of the day, you know, a lot of us are here, I think, because we love the club. Yeah. A lot of us, I mean, look, I was one of the first. 
I've been here for almost seven years. Flex on him, Betty. Let him, let him fucking go. know who the fuck you are. No, 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 no. <laughs> you got time I'm not, I'm not flexing. Say it with your I'm chest. Being go. somewhere too low is not a good thing. Day ones and shit. No, I think it's interesting because a lot of us, you know, look, there's a lot of people who've gone and there's a lot of people who've joined. Yeah. A lot of us have been here from the beginning and a lot of us love this place. And it's for a lot of different reasons. And, uh... You know, we love to see this thing grow and we feel like there's a lot more to do and there's a lot more to win from the city and there's a lot more to do with everyone else in the 3252. I think it's a beautiful relationship. We make sure that we continue it. Yeah, man. And then, like, for me, how do we make it better for all of us? And it's always my ever, like, my goal is always trying to improve myself and how I serve everyone else and how do we as an organization continue to grow because I think we have a lot of opportunity to even make it better. Mm-hmm. I can't control what's on the field. That's not my job. Yeah. But, you know, regardless of that, I mean, we talked about this, right? It's all about what do we what do we believe LFCDB to each and one of every one of us? And what does it mean to the community? And that's how we grow. Because, you know, one of the things I, you know, do oversee the foundation now and try to really reorient it to make it grow and be more of service to the community and, and really do some impactful stuff mm. in, in Los Angeles, right? Um, and I think there's room to grow on the brand side. There's room to grow on the 3050 side. There's room to grow for everything. There's an unending amount of growth we can do. How do we make more of an impact on people's lives is what we like to see. Yeah, and man. make sure that we do the LA jump, LA fo- jump for LA Football Club and have everyone sing with us forever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. I mean, this is a hot take for, 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 for a little bit. But I, I also think the hits are so good. But we need we need a new one soon. Like that's the one thing I think that COVID has really hurt a lot in terms of supporting the stands is that um, the ability to gather and to just really like work on songs and work on something new. Like, in within the first two and a half seasons, there was like songs coming in and out, in and out. And I think um, shout out to all the capos who worked so hard to, to make those songs pop off. But it really is like being together and being able to gather in in, in a place to practice that was such a huge portion of that. But um. Yeah, we're we're aiming to shoot for hopefully a couple a few new tunes that um, we can add to the collection. I mean, Dweez, you you are um, Ben. You're speaking on all the people who are at the club right now for a variety of different reasons, of level and levels of love for for the club. But Dweez always says like the most one of the most fortuitous things was that the club hired incredible people in the beginning who were about it, who understood it, and that was such um, a stroke of both skill in finding those people, but also luck and people uh, everything kind of falling into place together to build this thing together and i mean do we like do you like now we've seen so many people transition in and out of both um front office positions we've seen our own supporters go into uh, front office positions like how are you feeling about just even that relationship so i mean i always remember the dortmund trip and the conversation about the dortmund trip that i didn't get to take but i spoke to with everyone And I remember how one of the people who founded the Yellow Wall ended up working for the club Mm -hmm. and how that became like, you know, kind of not a contentious thing for him because obviously, you know, he uh, he began a different stage of his life, but he couldn't like be that guy in the Yellow Wall anymore. Mm. And there was this sort of barrier. But I'd like to think much in the same way that I hope the American contribution to world football culture is that we can get away from like you know a lot of the bullshit whether it's racism or violence specifically Mm -hmm. homophobia i hope that we can also get away from this idea that like you know (laughs) it's it's sort of like it's it reminds me of people who love bands only when they're small 
and then once they get too big, like, they don't like them anymore because it's not theirs anymore. It doesn't belong to them. It's this attitude that, like, someone can't evolve or a thing can't evolve. And I welcome, I'm so happy to have people inside the club now that used to be supporters of the club. I'm happy to see people who were part of the inside of the club and now on the outside and come to games because I think that this this membrane between, you know, club and supporter is a lot more permeable than people think. Mm-hmm. And I think that at the end of the day, it's like less, oh, do you work for the club or do you not? It's like, are you real or are you not real? You know, like, are you about this or are you not about this? Do you understand, like, the core is the community that... Yeah, what's what's about this? What's the, the this you That you understand to? that the, the inverse of, of what people, m- the normal American mindset would be true. It's this isn't a... S- a sports team with a community attached to it this is a community with a sports team attached to it Mm -hmm. so if people understand that orientation you know i don't care like if you work for the club or you're a supporter like you're on board let's go like you know and to see folks that you know were supporters that work for the club i think it's great and that helps keep the club close you know keep the eye on the ball because there's all these kids out in marketing schools around the country and they're all like learning sports marketing 101 from the NFL and these other things. And I'm sure there are ideas to borrow, but this is different. You know, it's different from like the corporate sports spoon fed entertainment experience. And Benny knows that he's just, he, he's, you know, he, he's someone who like studies people, right? Like, and he understands, even if he didn't understand Los Angeles, that there's like a way to get to realness that you have to circumvent a lot of like, you could say the uh, the sterile corporate sheen uh, mm-hmm. that is normally, you know, we got this new, we, we were talking earlier about the new SoFi Stadium. I'm sure you're going to have a great time, mm-hmm. you know, when you go, Josh, for the Monday night football game. But you're not going to have like a, you're not going to have like a real time, you know. Mm-hmm. If you do, it'll be because some group, some people in your section are dope. Okay. That's what will make it great. Yeah, yeah, it won't yeah. be the stadium right. that makes it great. I can almost guarantee you that. I see what you're So you're saying saying Benny's job doesn't matter. No, I'm saying Benny's job... (laughs) Benny's Benny's job was to get those those elements out of the way so that people could connect more and people could make their community, like, percolate, you know? And I think you've done that. I mean, I remember the the supporters... One of the first things about the supporters bar, if if we go back to that, like... The first idea was, like, let's get our beer as quick as possible so we can get back to the game, right? Like, mm-hmm. this yeah. idea of, like, being near to the thing and, like, this whole idea of, like, integrated payments and stuff. It sounds like a small thing, but it actually is a big deal. And I don't know. I, Shout I out the quick pour machines. Yeah. And look, I love I mean, that quick pour machine. We had, we had our thoughts, and we just grew with, with everyone. Because mm. right? we didn't hey, – what the hell was I doing trying to build a stadium and trying to <laughs> work in a sports, professional sports team? But, I mean, the genius of Richard Roscoe and him pushing me back. Look, I wanna, I'll be honest. I don't know if we ever shared this, but Rich, you know, market segmentation. We have to tap into the different ethnic groups of Los Angeles, like Virgins. No, no, no. He goes, dude, chill. Let's invite everyone else and see how people come. Mm. Yeah. He taught me patience and understanding. And, look, and that's, mm. for me, like public health or whatever I did before, consulting, like, okay, what are these different de- populations? What do we need to do for them? And he's like, you know what? It's okay. Just let's see what happens. And then our door remained open, and they were, and you guys are open for everybody. And is like, what I like to say is that that building is com- pretty democratized, right? Yeah. Obviously, there's things we need to do, but for business. But then, 
it's accessible mm. for people. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the beauty of our stadium too, right? Why are there different variations of pricing? Because that's how we built it and that's how we operate it. And a lot of people can come to our stadium. And so, and that's the interesting part about how we kind of went down this path. Because at the same time, like, you know, no one's really ever done this, so we got to try it out. Yeah. And so I think that's the more important thing about the secret of our success was we can try things. Our ownership, our leadership allowed us to do that. And we just try to just get it right you know, as much as we can. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, there's still a lot of things we got wrong and there's a lot of things we will get right. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot. That's what I mean. There's a lot of work to do for me. Work never ends. Right. Right. So. What was that interview process like, man? I mean, you're so you had no prior sports explicit sports experience. Oh, goodness. Here we go. Yeah. Wait, like, who, what, who, like, who hired you? Yeah. Who was so, the so person that said yes. So the founding owner, Henry Wynn, brought me in. Let's yeah. go. Hey. Yeah. So, no. So, so you're an insight guy. You're I'm, a made I'm man. I'm an inside guy. <laughs> you're a man. Uh, not a made man. I always have to prove myself. Yeah. No, but so my career path was... You know, I did management consulting that taught me I can solve any problem I can figure out. So, mm. I'll give you an example. I never worked in public health. I was in graduate school for international development, which is UN, World Bank work, go to a, a poor developing country, yeah. education, health, whatever it is, right? So then I was like, I couldn't find an internship during my first year. My my counselor was like, yo, you need a job, bro. It's April. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So this random guy rolls around, and he's at the Clinton Foundation, which is Bill Clinton's foundation. He goes, hey, we're looking oh, for that people. Clinton. Okay. That Clinton. Yeah. We're, we're looking for people to go to Africa to work public health. Like, I know nothing about public health, and I know nothing about Africa. I've never been. And then two weeks later, I'm on a fucking plane to Bro. Tanzania. And so when I show up, and so this is where management consulting, in front of, like you solve every problem, you're on a project every three months, hmm. go figure it out. So my boss is from like this hot firm called McKinsey. Like, why don't you figure out how to treat people in the rural areas? Go. I'm like, okay. And then I went. And so... You know, in terms of kind of how I approach things, there's a lot of, you know, building a baseline set of a foundation of skills mm-hmm. and then try to figure out a problem. <laughs> building a stadium is not easy, and I knew nothing. Mm. And, of course, I'm sure it was to the ire of some folks who had actually built stadiums before. Oh, fuck them. But at the minimum, you know, Henry brought me in, interviewed. I'm always about proving myself without connections. And then we just kind of start building this thing. And I had to learn along the way. I'm sure many people were frustrated with me along the way. But as we were building it and the way that, we're working with Rich and other folks and doing design sessions. Mm. And that's the elements that I brought in from a previous experience. And how do you put it all together? And we got, you know, unfortunately, at the end of it, we got a really beautiful place. It's very oriented towards fans, experiences, and made sure that we built it around 3252. It was kind of our main goal. So mm. kind of that's how I that's how landed. I mean, look, at the end of the day, when they approached me at the interview, like, you know, not many people build stadiums, so why don't you take it on and figure it out? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's actually but one of the wildest sound bites we've ever had. It, is, yeah. it like, is. Well, I mean, that's yeah, what it was awesome. told to me. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, the building a stadium is like, there's only different, several different forms you take it in, but we took control of it. Yeah, and we man. did different things with it. And I would say that it's better that we had someone like, who whose mind works the way Benny's works versus someone who's built twenty stadiums because you'll just get the same someone stadium. With preconceived notions yeah. about how they should be doing it. I think in general, like we just talk about all the trash that's stadiums a theme. that we hate. You know, that's a theme, right? I mean, like with other people we've had on. Shoot, I mean, I don't know if we've had very many people on at all. At least people who work for the club who've done like this exact thing before. For a lot of people, it was their mm. first time, at least in like 
in a lot of ways in this context. And without those preconceived notions, you are letting things develop and having patience, as you know, Rich might have mentioned when it came to the community groups and the different types of communities coming to L.A., I've found that in life in general, like as a rule, even outside the business, it's a lot better to like let things evolve that way than preloading sets of expectations that you're going to get frustrated when they don't meet and that now the thing you're working on or the relationship you're in or whatever, it's going to like, you know, fracture because your dream of what you thought it was supposed to be is not coming true. But you didn't know what the hell to expect. And the more you said, I don't know what the hell to expect, the more you could allow space for the best ideas to come in and things to sort of stack upon each other because you didn't have assumptions. That's important. Yeah. I mean, look, when you're dealing with human behavior, you don't know what to expect. And, you know, with the fortunate experiences of living in many different continents and dealing with different kinds of people... You got to come in. I mean, I rocked up in L.A. I, well, the hardest part was coming back to America and the culture simulation that I had experienced. Yeah. Too truthful. And then L.A. But I don't know anything about L.A. What am I supposed to do to tell you? I got to ask you. And mm. I think the key there is really empathy to understand what people are thinking. And this is where, I mean, Patrick, Mark, and all those guys thought I was crazy about this whole design session. What the hell are you doing? You're going to make them build models and draw pictures? I was like, Yeah. And so we got into huge fights about that. But <laughs> you were there. You were there that day, weren't you, Josh? The design sessions. I was there for the second one. I, mean, second I one was there for one of them. I'm not sure yeah, which one. I think one, we were yeah. there for the second yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the, the the first one was like general fans, but most folks were there. Jimmy was there. I mean, mm. and then you know I had to, you know it's a methodology, Rick. IDEO, design thinking, but it's all about empathy and understanding what people can tell mm. you, what they're thinking. And I can't. It's not a focus group, and that was kind of part of my thing. It's like. When I'm trying to figure out how best to get a person living with HIV get medicine without being discriminated against, what the hell are you supposed to do? Mm. You know, and one of the biggest lessons I learned, um, just you know, in my life, was I remember in the middle of rural Tanzania, I was just like buckling guy in grad school arriving, and the Clinton Foundation will bring you drugs to heal you, save you from HIV, and I'm mm. like, okay. Rocking up a little hut with Sister Catherine, local nun in the middle of Tanzania. Mud hut, this woman was dying, and she said, Benny, I was like, I just gave my spiel. I was like, yeah, I'm here to help. I'm trying to find a program, develop it, role program, deliver medicine. She goes, you know, young man, I'm here. I'm dying of HIV. And if you gave me medicine, I'd still die from starvation. So do you have an answer? And that was probably my biggest lesson in life. It's like, you don't know the full context of what people are dealing with. Mm. You really have to understand. And I think that kind of reset everything I had to think mm. about when it came to serving people. Mm. And it really was an important lesson for me. And I think this is where the empathy piece comes in and learning and understanding. And it, it, yes, this is, this, that was pretty heavy. No, but that's it's a reality, man. Mm. Like That's what I had to yeah. deal with. You know, it kind of kind of really helped me kind of get clarity of my assumptions and how I approach things. Mm-hmm. And you got to listen to people. And after that, I was like, oh, my God. And I had to bring this back and say, we can't just treat people with medicine. You have to feed them so they can survive. Mm. And I think that's kind of like a pretty big lesson in life. And it filters into everything that I do is I get to think about what people live through, think about their thoughts. They give you feedback. And that's kind of the, 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 the motivation behind and, and really the, the anchor for why we do these things. Because yeah. if you want to be a supporter, I can't do that for you. You have to tell me what to expect. And, 
we'll, we have the opportunity to build the stadium together. What do you want it to be like? So, and then we're still continuously doing that. I think what we're going to do as well is some design sessions and see what people think about the food and the experience mm. and continuously improve. I think mm. that was a big mic drop moment. Yeah. In all the best ways. One of my best favorite stories, 100 episodes in. That was amazing. Should we take a break and get on with season, uh, part tea three? Time. Part three of Tea Time. We're going to take one more break. Be back with Benny shortly. FCFC pod. We back. FCFC pod. Tea time with Dweez. Thank you for that, Slim. I didn't think anyone else was going to hit the board. Didn't love the board like I love the board. The board's awesome. What other sounds you got? Do you know how many shots they had in that game? They had about 21 shots, dog. <laughs> like 21 that. shots. Pow, right in the kiss. <laughs> yeah. we, just got like, we just got little rap lines in here. What's this one? I think that was just a, what the fuck? Yeah. What the, tur- the turkey leg. The turkey leg. The turkey leg. We got, we got little ones. Anyways, we're drinking a little bit of yancha, little rock tea uh, from Fujian province, China, oolong tea. Oh, sorry. Josh, can you um, show oh, wait, wait, show Benny how it's done? You get it. So basically, these are Taiwanese uh, tea Grip tasting like this. tea tasting cups. You're gonna flip them. The tall one is your aroma glass, and then the small one is your drinking, drinking glass. glass. So you can just take the top off now. Take the top off. Smell that shit. Wow. And then you smell you smell the long cup, and that will kind of give you an idea of what we're. I feel like an in, 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 inappropriate Asian man. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, I'm jungle man. We don't do tea. Just kidding. You're an appropriate man. Mm. We don't play with the tea here. So we got a little, little oolong bounce. I'm going to keep filling you up, so just keep your keep your cup my direction. Should I combine the whiskey with the tea? You may. That's great, Chaser. You may. They do a lot of little tea chaser <laughs> with whiskey in Japan, right? And I think yeah. in all over. I mean, in China, it was the same. At try, the clubs. Try, try vodka with green tea. Boom. Whoa. Vodka, green teas. What, are we already in the recommendation portion of that? That's that's a it's, sick record. It's a thing. It's a thing. So we're here with with Benny T, Stadium Benny, and he's been all over the world. He's obviously we talked a little about his time in Egypt. We off pod talked a little bit about talked a little bit about <laughs> Vietnam. Um, I'm curious to know because you spent so many years there. What was the hardest thing about coming back to the U.S.? And did you think when you were living there that, like, one day you would come back for, for years and years? Or had you assumed, had you, had you had at any of these points kind of like a vision that your life would go differently than the way it's gone and delivered you so uh, nicely to us here at LAFC? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the hardest thing, well... <laughs> You know, when you live internationally, people have a different way of approaching the world, you know. And I think people have a different perspective of how they see the world and how involved they are in the international world. And I think that that's kind of one of the hardest things is when you try to talk to folks here. Some, I think, you know, sometimes it varies, but a lot of times it's very um, focused on the U.S. for their own lives. Mm. And when you live abroad, 
you know, your life is intricately involved with everybody else. So you live in Southeast Asia and you're in Vietnam. You're intricately involved with Thailand, Korea, mm-hmm. Singapore. When you live in Egypt, you're involved in the politics of the Middle East and how that affects you, but also how people perceive things. And I think that, uh, you know, L.A. is very different from New York. L.A., you know, understanding California and Angelinos and how they perceive the world is very different. And it's kind of like, you know, even understanding international stuff, right? I think there's a lot of people, there's a lot of cultures here, mm-hmm. but I've never been in a place where it's so spread out. Mm. And it's kind of, we're all together, but we're not all really together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? So close. We're all so in the far. confines of our little metal boxes that we drive around. Exactly. And, it, and it, it's interesting here because it's what I've grown to love is that it's cut across not only ethnic and cultural lines, but also cultural in a sense of like, you know, what people do. And I think that's the beauty of L.A. where you have, and we talk about this, like, how do we celebrate the diversity of Los Angeles? And it doesn't mean that it's about race, which it should be celebrated. Mm. And, but it's also about culture. But it's also about, like, you know, subcultures, right? And this is the beauty of this place. And and I do see it in the lens of race a little bit, or eth- ethnicity a little mm-hmm. bit more, because I pursue food. Mm. But I love the fact that I can rock up in the middle of, like, my favorite cow soy noodle joint in East Hollywood, and there's, like, one lady. Sap coffee shop? No, it's, uh, what is it? Spicy barbecue. Oh, spicy barbecue, K. Yeah. You know K? So my girl. So, so she's amazing, right? And Dude, then next, she's the next next door there's Arax, which has actually they're Lebanese Armenian. Yeah. And they actually have some of the best falafels in town. We just know about it. And don't accidentally park in their parking things. Like that's correct. Pretty, they they have get spots. Don't mess with it. <laughs> 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 and, and so and so it's a very interesting when it's kind of feels like it's kind of detached from the world, but then it's in its own world, and that's what I love about the diversity of LA. But it's a very different kind of beast when you kind of, and you know, we went through a very tough period. Look, I'll show you my political colors. Like, it's been very difficult for the past four years when there's this president that was totally off the wall. But no one like, understands, a lot of people in this country doesn't understand how, what kind of impact it has on the rest of the world, mm. right? Uh, when you live abroad, you kind of impacted all over the place and mm. people have a common understanding of what's going on around the world. So it's a very different perspective. Mm. And so... That's kind of, I think, the hardest part, the easiest part. Do you miss that, though? Do you miss Oh, like I miss it all the time. Yeah. And then, you know, when it comes to what I talked about, you know, in the beginning, it's like, you know, my noodle lady, I'm yeah, a man. Peter Bird man. Like, I miss that because a lot, the, the social connections of people there are different because they're forced to, mm-hmm. because the urbanization of the world is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And for here in L.A., it's different, right? Because we live in an urban environment. In fact, I don't even know if you know, I mean, I track these kind of things where the livable density of Los Angeles is higher than New York. Wow, okay. And that's why COVID's worse, meaning the occupiable space that right. people live in here because of multi-generational households is higher than New York. New York is like, you got two bedroom, you got a one-bedroom apartment, like the two, there's one family living there, right? Yeah. But when you have a house here, there's going to be multiple families living here. Right, right, right. And so it's a very different world in that sense. But, you know, I'm used to density and I miss that, right? Because I'm used to interacting with more people here it's a little bit different. You gotta find your way. Yeah. People got their their their, their group. You gotta get travel. You gotta do your thing. And you know, COVID has been a horrible for a lot of us, but also allowed me to discover new things. Yeah. Which I have had the privilege to do, which is my own thing. But hopefully, everyone will too. Like I've never been in the water on the beach. Like, never been in the water. Mm. The whole time I was here. First time was when I went to Santa Barbara in April of 2020. Mm. 
and I jumped into the water. It was the first time I was in the water when I, since I've been here. Wow. First but some people never been to the beach. Yeah, you're right. So. And then, but now you're you got the deep cuts. You're you're in East Hollywood, Thai Town, spicy barbecue. Well, yes, no, so it's funny. That's, that's exactly what I was just gonna bring up because it's like you have your noodle people, you just, but now like you do have those people, but they're spread out. And the funny thing is, I miss living abroad a lot too, which is why I'm asking these questions. And I miss that like interested in what's going on in countries around me a lot more than it seems to be the case here. But now I've I have too many of my people like like I've got my my cow soy lady I've got my you know different tea people I've got you know I got, and then we've got the LAFC community right which is like full of all sorts of people and now it's like the danger if I like were to move abroad again it's like oh man like I don't know if I'll ever have a community like that again because that's like that's a community you know like specifically LAFC but like just in the amount of time I've spent here because this is the longest I've stayed in one place since yeah ever so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also interesting coming from Atlanta, right? Because I was an Asian kid growing up in a black and white neighborhood where it's a black and white city, mm. and the race politics are different. Mm. The race politics in here are very different, and people don't like to talk about it, right? Um, but then that's what you there's there's a conversation about diversity, and then there's a conversation about well, is it really diverse? Or are we just pretending something else? Mm. But then at the core of it, though. You do, this is why I love LA. You have your councilman lady. You have this. You have your team man. Mm. You just have to drive to go find it. Exactly. He's and not then, on the street like he might have been. Exactly. You know, if I was living in. Exactly. Chung not Chung, everybody yeah. knows him. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to like in Atlanta, back in the day, maybe different now, is every single strip mall you went to was the same shit. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a wig stop. There's a subway. There's a, there's a in LA, the treasure found in strip clo- strip malls because that's all there yeah, is, man. right? Mm. And I think that's what's cool about it, and that's where you can find everything you want to find in LA. It's just kind of it's a little spread out and disparate, and sometimes people don't cross those lines. Right. But I go, I literally go everywhere. Like that's sick. Southgate, Butai um, Country, I'm rich. I only play at the Montebello Golf Course, but I'm hanging out like Falafel and El Monte. Mm. They got my Dan Dan noodles and like Alhambra. Which one? Which one? Mian? That's so yes. funny. Falafel you know is my Mian? spot too. Did you know they opened a Mian on Adams? Did not know that. Is that what the same folks? Same so they're people. going west. They own Chengdu Taste as well. They, oh. That's why. That's why. Mm-hmm. They're going west, see? Because they're, they're west. Yeah. Eventually it's, it was going to happen. We all knew that Xiaomian specifically is going to become the new ramen. Let's be real. Ooh. Bookmark this part of the podcast. Bookmark this podcast. In 10 years, it's going to be big. It's going to be that big. Anyway. That's it. Yeah, man. Go to Orange County. for You want Vietnamese Rex? I got you, man. Yeah, man. OC and Lao. Have you tried that place? Okan Lao. Yeah, it, I, it was in the OC, so I thought it had to do with those. <laughs> <C-shell> <laughs> C- <laughs> Wait, are we, are, we, are, we, are we for our Bonmi? Are we Che Cali or are we Lee's? Oh, I, I, I'm Team Lee's. Answer is neither, sir. Ooh, I know, yeah, but between those go. two, between those two, because those are the ones that have them all over the place. I wouldn't eat. Them. I would rather go to <laughs> neither of them. Dude, Betty is looking at me over the table like he's gonna throw the glass at my face. So I think I'll stop talking about bomb me and me. I, take my, my I take my food seriously. I take my food seriously. Maito, right? M Y T H O. Wait, when did you? When did you start taking your food seriously? Um, That's a question for you. When did you switch from just a knucklehead in the? In the streets to like actually being like no guys. So I'd have to say that you know my mom is Mama Tran. I was a taste tester at home. Mm. 
that's when I started. But, you know, when I, you know, when I went to college, okay. But when I lived, when I lived in Egypt, mm. you know, there's a different perspective on food. But I'd say Egyptian food is, you know, it's not Lebanese food. Mm. Right? Mm. It's like it's a whole different level. Um, but the variety of food, I was exposed to a lot of European imports. I was like, oh, this is what blue cheese is supposed to taste like. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And then when I went out Vietnam after college, uh-huh. it was a whole different level. Wait, like, just w- w- one sec for back- backing up. Was Egypt the first time you left the country? Yes. Damn, that is oh, some fucking G flex. shit. That's the first time I, I think everything you need to know about flex. Betty just came out right now. The it first was, time you ever left the country was voluntarily to go to Egypt as a high school student. It was the first time I ever flew. Wow. Drops the mic. How many mic drops has he got in one episode? It's a good thing they're on stage. Hit something new. Hit something new on the board, bro. How do you, how do I turn the page on this? But the, t- but the turkey legs. Uh, uh, like <laughs> so, so you start, you know, tasting your mom's food. You start going to Egypt. You start checking out, um, and you start caring more about food, and you're like, you start discerning. You get your discernment. You start to see one thing or the other thing, but then um, when you're living abroad, like where is, is LA? Has LA been the best, best place for food so far? Has it given you the most, most options? I know that's a tough one. There's, I'll let you, I'll let you elaborate. I don't know. Anthony Bourdain says the best food is in Vietnam. It was, it was Vietnam. It was Vietnam. Wow. Tell us why, and it's, just because we're big fans of Vietnam on this podcast, and so how many times have we talked about I can going? Hear, I can hear Rich now. Yeah. Say, why are you trying to talk about food, man? We got other shit to do. No, please um, talk about food. Yeah, please, talk, please about talk about food. No, I think is. Rich isn't here today. <laughs> Sorry, Rich. Vietnam. So I was there in two thousand. This was before Vietnam even. They just kind of unlocked their new policy of opening the economy to private business, mm-hmm. which is a big deal for communist government. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't much going on at all. It's actually pretty raw, and I won't even get to the stories that happened then, which is different from what happened six years later when I moved back. But it was like basically the Wild Wild West. But at that time, there was not massive manufacturing. There was no packaged foods. Everything was fresh. Uh. Seafood was fresh. Seafood was in a tank, and that's where. Look, you grew up in you grew up in Atlanta. It's lo- it's landlocked. Mm. You're not close to no like ocean. Or fresh seafood, fresh vegetables. Y'all, California, got fresh vegetables. Like New Jersey, you got fresh tomatoes. Mm-hmm. In Atlanta, tomatoes. you're like, you know, the tomatoes. You got yeah. frozen chicken wings. <laughs> yeah, frozen. You got chi- we got chicken. We got chicken wings. So when I went out, when I went to Vietnam, I was like, oh, you know, I, I, d- I hated fish. The only thing I liked were fish sticks. <laughs> okay, that's you. That's how you know you was country as hell. Yeah, I do. That's all I had was fish sticks, you grew little, up a little tata boy. sauce. <laughs> Um, and, and then when you're in Vietnam, everything's fresh, mm. everything's beautiful, everything's clean. And it's, a, you know, it's a very clean cuisine, but like they bring the fish out to you and say, Hey, is this what you want? The goddamn crab. The crab is like, is this okay for you, sir? It's like 50 cents, but is it okay Bam. for you? And you eat it fresh. And I was like, Oh my God, they're fresh fruit. Mm-hmm. And that's where I had the discovery, but also I think a culture mm. shift in terms of understanding how people celebrate food. Mm. And that's kind of where I learned about like, Right now, I'm still like going around. I was like, "Hey, where's that lamb from? Or where'd that beef from?" And those <laughs> people are like, "Why are you asking that question?" But now it's a it's Portlandia, but everybody wants to know, right? Mm. That's ever that's been in Vietnam because the crab in Phan Thiet is the different from the crab in Camao. It's different, and people want to know. 
And that's when I started learning the intricacies of the difference, freshness, food, combinations. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and that's why I become a foodie. And, it's, and at the end of the day, man, it's a celebration. And Vietnam's interesting because when it kind of went through the evolution of, you know, the, the, you know whatever happened when post the war, kind of the, the, all the, the changes that happened with the regulations and policies and how people emerged from it. And now it's a growing economy and how food has been a big part of it, right? Because in China and in Vietnam, like nowadays, you don't even eat the fucking rice. The fucking rice is at the end of the day, at, after the meal, when it's a filler, you're yep. eating the meat. Mm. And so for me, when actually people made fun of me when I went back to Vietnam and I asked for rice because that's what I'm used to in my home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're eating your braised pork belly, I had sure. it rice. My staff in Hanoi was like, what the hell are you talking about? Eat the meat and the vegetables because that's all you, who eats rice. And so it's been a very interesting journey and that's kind of where I discovered it. Mm. Even though, yes, in Egypt I discovered European food and how good it was, and oh, that's something. Vietnam solidified it, and it kind of I have a love for food, you know. I'm hearing so much, just deep seated saudade, if we want to use the Portuguese word for missing something deeply that won't be returning anytime soon. Could you move back to Vietnam? Uh, I could. I have an open invitation for by several different people. <laughs> Several. As you he talks that? about the Appreciate food that he him while he's here, yo. Okay, before we get into proper recommendations, let's just talk about your uh, what? What if we were in Vietnam right now? Where would we go and be? What would we eat? What kind of what kind of places could we hit that we couldn't even? We wouldn't even have a prayer for here, and even in Vietnamese heavy oh. Southern California. So, so one of my favorite things to do is uh, what he thought was OC. It was called oh. It's basically a full set of all the shellfish you can imagine, however cooked you want, all fresh. Yeah, that's one of the. Oh, that's what it's named after. <laughs> I just eat at places. I don't really know what's going on. Because 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 Vietnamese is a monosyllabic language, and it's also categorical, right? That's how you actually categorize things. And up is basically shellfish, mm. like specifically oysters and clams. Shout out the razor clams over there. Razor clams. And then what happens is, like, you go to these specialty places, and it's all about it's – because it's small foods, right? It's like izakaya in Japanese, mm-hmm. except it's all shellfish and, like, grilled shrimp and shit, and you're eating your beer and having a good conversation, and you're trying to pick the meat out of that shell. You're just dipping it. And enjoy the deliciousness and the freshness of the sea. Wow. So wow. that's where we would be. Wow. Having this podcast and oh, having some man. shellfish. Wow. Is the shellfish better in the north or the south? South. And it, de- and it depends on what shellfish you're talking about. So if you want to go detailed, True. a couple things in the north that are better, mostly in the south. Where are those w- black pepper crab? Black pepper crab. That's a very Singaporean thing. Wait, I thought. Th- no, now I'm thinking the camp. What is this? What is the crab? Cam- Isn't Cambodian. Cambodian crab has this like some, and I thought that was big in Vietnam too. It could. I mean, black pepper crab is a common dish. Actually, the Cambodians have a very special kind of black pepper called kampot. Yeah. Black pepper. Isn't that the name of the town? Yes. It's grown in this particular town on the coast of Cambodia. Near the Thai border, right? I got some. You want to grind it out and cook your own Damn. food with pepper? Damn, bro. Uh, Ingredients matter. Okay, we got to go with Benny when we go to Vietnam. We, we had this dream of going to Vietnam, the three of us. We're going to be hopeless without this guy now. We're going to be calling him every day if he's not there. We'll do a food journey. and. Rich never came with you to Vietnam? He never came to visit? Not yet, no. Wow, 
that's got to happen. I'm not sure if he wants to. Why <laughs> not? What's wrong with them? The deep depths. I mean, you'd have, the had, deep you'd, you'd have to sign waivers and shit. <laughs> the deep With depths. your wife. The deep depths. The deep, the deep depths. The deep depths. No, well, it's, it's a wonderful experience. I mean, look, Japan, the center of the food, and center of the world for food, can't compete, right? But this, you know, like, but you were saying is like, you know, different places, different things, right? And you can't, one thing about tea, right, is that like where a tea's grown makes all the difference. So no matter what, by definition, like different, different foods grown different places. Yes, preparation methods can be learned. Things like this can be learned. But like the the earth and where you are growing or eating something that is from the earth, if it's fresh, it's going to be different no matter, you know, where in the world it's grown. You can't replicate certain types of things in different places no matter how hard you try. Dude. I don't know, man. Japanese people are probably good at, pretty good at copying stuff. And they are good at copying <laughs> stuff. And when it comes to, like, food... But pre- what if he you, just if you gotta wait years to learn how to make sushi rice, like, you're a, you're a different level of, like, food Yeah, but if that stuff. rice is grown... I mean, if that guy is, like, eating rice that's grown, say, in, I don't know, in Uzbekistan, like, the 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 soil there will make a different rice than the rice that will be grown in Hokkaido. So, see the pr- let me ask you guys this question. If there was one thing that you a food item that you'd like to see in the stadium, what would you like? Oh, in the stadium. Now we're taking it back to LFC. I was all, all the way across the world. I didn't even remember LFC for a while. I'm going to be honest. I've only eaten like two hot dogs and a pizza since that stadium opened. And it's that pizza that's not that great. <laughs> we got a new, we got a new pizza this year. Oh, right? is it? It's not, it's not the crest anymore. It is the crest, but it's uh it's a, it's a, it's imported Italian dough created by a 90 year old Italian man, uh, of which I need to find out the name and where he's located. It's actually creating new pizzas. All right, I'll, I'll have to try it again. But yeah, I, awesome. as far as stadium food, it's it's hard to eat when you're in the North End, brother. Good point. You know, at least for, yeah, the hard-to-eat part is, is important for us, so something super portable. I was thinking maybe was like an empanada or something. You know, you know what? I'm just going to say it. I think I'm going to just tie the ga- all the ideas together right now. Pies. The meat savory, pie? Savory pies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I savory say we just bring pies. it. We're going to borrow from football culture around the world, and we're going to make our little pie stand. There will be, you know, partially empanadas. <laughs> I like that idea as well because mm-hmm. it's a little bit closer to home. we got lots of good empanada places here. Yeah. But straight up, like... If you can grab something and bring, I'll, I'll admit it, the same as Slim. I've tried every food in the stadium. That was only on the food stadium opening day, like when I was t- sampling the food. I have never, in however many times I've been there, gotten food again in the stadium because I'm busy in the North End. Or before when I was reporting, I would be up and reporting and I wouldn't be getting food. So a meat pie would be the easiest thing. Because yeah, you can so just grab it. Something that's, you can sell them like hotcakes, like straight up like hotcakes. Or like hotcakes. Pop, yeah. pop, pop, <laughs> you know, and like a lot of those empanadas, they just, you know, you can pre-make them, just have them basically in a pretty warm situation. And yeah. you can bring them into the North End like a beer. You could, you could have like oh, your like beer in one yeah, hand, like you have another beer in this in hand, yeah, yeah. and then you've got like, you know, three, you're handing them out to your boys. People are woofing them down. Like they just need to be woofed down. They mm. just need to, they just need to fill the belly and like not, not yeah. destroy it too much. I think, <laughs> I think like, did you know that the founder of the, the, the inventor of hot pockets is from OC? Well, tell them, Persian family. we need a sponsorship. 
Oh, uh. Ooh, you could get LA Rose. If you get LA Rose Cafe to just whip out those. Have you been there before? The Filipino spot on Fountain? No. L- LA Rose Cafe, Filipino spot on Fountain, right near Ver- the corner of Vermont and Fountain. It's been there since like the 80s. And, uh, yo, like they have these chicken empanadas that have like a spicy, sweet mustard sauce that they dip them in. I don't even know if that's like a Filipino dish. It's just what they make there. Yeah. It's insane. It's, w- it's I mean, it's even in compared to some of the Argentine empanada places here, that's actually probably the best empanadas in LA, in my opinion. Oof. Really? Yeah. They're I'm, like I, they're like very delicate little. And I mean, if you had those at the stadium, I would straight up like buy a box for everyone in TSG. Come over, guys, just fucking throw these yeah, down. Yeah. Like people are like, oh. yeah, empanadas. Interesting. Yeah. I had the best empanada I've had in LA at Malbec in Pasadena. Pretty good. Malbec. Oh, the Argentine spot. On yeah. I know. I know what you're talking about. But I'll, I'll put a challenge out to our audience. Okay. Why don't we, f- why don't y'all, f- so let's, let's, let's settle down on empanadas or meat pie. Mm-hmm. And why don't we look for the best meat pie slash empanada joint in LA and get bring them to, to the stadium. I think we should do that. We could, we could make it an FCFC campaign. We could just like. I believe in that. You know what I mean? We could just start posting like, all right, guys, like we are on a mission to find the best and most portable empanadas in Los Angeles, and we're going to bring them to the North End. We could just, like, start a full campaign, and people are going to just send in their requests, and we're just going to – we're going to go talk to them in person. We'll bring them on the pod. We'll bring the final two on the pod, and we'll we'll face them off, and I'll be like, tell me (laughs) – Tell me why we got to have your empanadas in the North End. So, I got a second challenge for you. Oh. So, I've been mulling this idea for years now, but I think it's about time. Should we democratize and get – you know, ask people to uh, suggest, bring, cook, compete, contest the signature signature dish for LAFC at the stadium. Ooh, cook off. You do Iron Chef LAFC style. Ooh, that's kind of interesting. Ooh, we got some. We heavy could, you could kind of you could kind of like roll into the tailgates with a little bit of that too, like tailgate off. Like who's gonna who's got the best? You know, I, I mean, we got we we've already birthed like straight up like you know got cheeky smash house. You got the boys. Chopping up their barbecue, the Torres Brothers. Like, I bet you probably have some uh, some ambitious restaurant tours in the making in in the in the North End specifically. Not to mention the whole stadium. I think it's just a great a idea. Dish I think it's a great idea. Just a signature. Okay, dish. yeah. There's a, the prize of the signature dish. Sure, that's you want sounds a great too. Dish? No, that's cool. We could have that at the empanada spot hmm. like in the same location. What would the signature? The dish? FCFC food stand. Empanadas and we've been <laughs> but the ramen. meat pies, the meat pies, the meat pies. It's an interesting idea because yeah. that's what they serve in the English stadiums. I think there's pies. a reason that they do as well. Let's be honest. Like we know that the American sports stadium goer, you know, they want a certain type of thing in their experience. But there's probably a reason why you know the people of the footballing world don't like. Okay, when I was in Spain, right? What they eat is bocadillas. What was that? It's just a small little sandwich. Just a little sandwich with, like, prosciutto in there and just something that they're woofing down. Sometimes they sell them in the stadiums. Like, in the camp now, I think they sold them in the stadiums. A lot of people would bring them in in Mm. these little foil wrappings, and they were, like, kind of just sold on the outside, just little tomato, cheese, prosciutto, or, you know, jamón serrano in Spain. And those little bocadillos were, like, what people rocked. And it makes sense because, like, look, the game's short, you know, and you can't really, like, miss that much of it. You can't do, like, the proper dining like those of us who are going to experience the game in a certain way, there are probably plenty of people at the stadium who do go for like a regular old sporting experience in the American vernacular of that. 
but there's probably something to be said for some some form. I, I love this. I'm I'm so excited for this. Yeah, I'm I can't so believe. Can you guys believe FCFC Pod has been entrusted with filling a stand in the stadium? We just got the word officially from <laughs> everyone. <laughs> they told us that we're we get to decide who gets. To, no, I'm just kidding. But kind of not because if we could prove it. A meat pie. Meat pie. Meat pie or empanadas. Pie. Empanada. Yeah, something, I mean, that you don't have to dip or, like, exactly. soft Straight sauced up. up and you just dripping on yourself. Because we're, we're always mobile out there. Yep. So something you could just grab and scarf. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking to sell out. So jump for LA Football Club with the empanada in my mouth. And you could put, if you could get, you know, those little, like, you know how they do, like, the burn mark brands and some of them? You could just get, like, different. FCFC burn marks on there. Yeah, exactly. You know brand. what I'm saying? Who's going to get the first FCFC brand on themselves? Yeah. Damn. Probably me. <laughs> okay, let's move on to proper recommendations. That I'm, I'm oh, actually going to yeah. get really excited for this. You're the first person to give us some challenges, bro. Damn, this we need more challenges. Just you feel free to come over with some challenges anytime. I've yeah. got a ton ben. of challenges. Don't worry. Great, this is amazing. So tonight for FCFC recommends the recommendation portion of our podcast. I would like to uh, start out with Josh Bice, who mm. has some recommendations for you guys. FCFC recommends. I have three in one, a trifecta. We're talking about the Korean coffee shops taking over all of the third, fourth, fifth wave coffee in L.A. near me right now. And so we're talking about first you got to give respect to the K-Town joints. I love uh, Document Coffee. It was one of the first ones I, I fell in love with. They have an incredible hibiscus tea as well. Great espresso. And then you have this trifecta of the Silver Lake Echo Parks of the world where you have Madu Coffee, which is just like the hip spot for everybody. The line is out the door. Then you have Levetta Coffee on Glendale Boulevard. And then you have Stereoscope Coffee on, on uh, that right there on Sunset, almost at um, the Dodger Stadium entrance there. But, um, yeah, it's just slowly, slowly but surely, I think there's some idea of new age Korean, Korean-ness aesthetic that's been kind of intertwined with Los Angeles and the coffee shops are just popping. The, the coffee's incredible. Pastries are great as well. And, um, and they serve, and some of them serve Korean tea, like the one I've been to with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Document, they do serve uh, a, a variety of Korean teas. And so, yeah, it's a good mix of it, but it's a nice understanding of what's We got cats running around the backyard, and Kobe's going after them, and we love it. We love to see it. We love to see Kobe just getting after it, cats running around, coffee shops popping up Let's all go. over town. All over the place. So it's Document in Document. K-Town, uh, Stereoscope in Echo Stereoscope. Park. Stereoscope. You have Madu, which is in Los Feliz. And Madu. you have Lavetta. Lavetta. And also in Echo Park. Also in Echo Park. Bam. That's four. That's four, and we love it. Jeez. Mr. Benny, Stadium Benny fam, do you have a recommendation prepared, or do you need a moment longer? I don't know. <laughs> what am I recommending? Any, anything. It could be, you could be something you're reading. So could be something you're watching. Could yeah. be some, some restaurant. I mean, as a food man, you might want to keep it in that realm, but you're welcome yeah. to, to, to color outside the lines as much as you want. Let's, go, let's cover, cover a couple of different things. Um, start with food. Um, I would love some of y'all feedback, but I'm just saying recommendation. Uh, I'm a Southern man. I like Southern barbecue. I'm a Southern, Southern man. man. Southern barbecue. Um, please, Heritage Barbecue, I would say probably best on the West Coast. Check Heritage it out. Barbecue, where's that at? San Juan Capistrano, a little far. A little far. But I newly discovered. Barbecue. Uh, newly discovered barbecue. Moose Barbecue. Have you driven all the way down to Heritage just to have Twice. Heritage and then drive back? Yes. Um, beautiful. So beautiful. 
The other thing you should try is Moose Barbecue. Uh-huh. Moose. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew and Michelle are the nicest people in the world. All they want to do is share their, their love for food and share that beautiful food with other people. I think, correct me in my former Spanish. Is Barbecue La Pargenta for the people? La, la, uh, la Pargente? La Pargente. Yeah. G-E-N-T-E. Uh-huh. And that's their theme. It's in outside of Chinatown on Broadway. Ooh, oh. right here. It's Moose. right here. Try their food. Okay. I don't like key lime pie because it's too tart. I almost literally asked for another key lime pie after eating all the barbecue and the, the tres leches, uh bread pudding, and then the key lime Bruh. pie. Got to try it. bread pudding. Damn. Tres leches bread pudding. But the key lime pie, killer. Uh, try that out. Love to, to, to help. They started out cooking in their backyard in 2017 in East L.A. <laughs> Yeah, so that's, that's what we're here for. Thank you for this. We're here for. Thank you for this. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful. I mean, there's some beautiful stories. This is what I love about life: is stories and the realm of possibility is always here. You know, mm. it's a it's a rat race for a lot of places. There's a rat race here, no doubt. There's a the, the ability to succeed is the American dream, but here it's kind of like you can cobble that shit together and make it happen. Um, and then again, we talked about social science and kind of like thinking and how we approach things. You know, reading Social Animal by David Brooks has always been the cornerstone of a lot Ooh, of stuff. It's about and the way that Dave he Brooks. approaches his philosophy is similar to Rousseau, where he explains his philosophy and his theories via stories. And it, it walks through the life of a, I think, half Mexican, half Asian girl and a white guy and through their lives from when they're a baby all the way to when they grew up, the complexities of human relationships. Mm. And the, the 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 factors of success, and uh, adjoining that, it's kind of like nerdy because it's like backed up by academic research. Mm. But we were trying to understand people and what it makes them successful or what makes them tick, and mm. understanding how they approach life and how we approach life. I think that book encapsulates a lot of that, and um, and when it goes back to kind of human behavior and stuff, understanding that and how what we do. It's basically the passion and love for LAFC yeah. and how that's does it affect it. other people is that's it. So I would say there's some food and some, there's, there's a book. Social Animal. Love that. Social Animal, David Brooks. Pick that up at your local bookstore or a re- online retailer. Library, library. Oh, <laughs> library. Hell yeah, library. What the fuck am I talking about? Slim, you want to hit him with some recos? Um, I started watching a random show on Netflix called The Upshaws. Uh, with Mike Epps, it's just one of those. With like, Mike Epps, yeah, it's just one of those like family sitcom comedies, but it's a little more mature than like the average like family sitcom. Um, yeah, just for some mindless, just comedy entertainment, I guess. It's keeping things simple because life is crazy. <laughs> can I can I go can I go back on that and add Squid Games to that? Squid Games. Oh, so Squid Games. I'm hearing Squid Games. This is now the third time I've heard it. It's so tell us. Tell the people. To be the most popular show on Netflix, apparently. But yeah. I've seen four episodes. It's my mind wants to explode, and then I'm gonna go home and watch it tonight. <laughs> and it might explode again. Yeah. So it's basically just like a life or death game situation with a bunch of like Korean children's games. So. You know, back back to the twisted minds of, of Korean uh, cinema kind of come into life and, you know. In a show form. Yeah, all that, all the fake smiles and stuff uh, um, that hide our oppression are coming out in, in cinema form. 
<laughs> Jesus. God, we love that. Oh, goodness. So. Hit us, Dweez. All right. I'll, I'll try to keep them quick. Uh, <coughs> for all my hikers and runners out there, uh, hit. Try Mount Wilson out. Mount Wilson's a seven mile up, seven mile down to the Wilson Observatory. Mount Wilson destroys me. Mount Wilson is the oldest or one of the oldest trail runs on the West Coast as well. And like I ran it over the weekend and it was it's just so beautiful. Like you you start out in the desert and you go up to like, you know, the tree line area and then you go above the tree line. And it's just beautiful. And everything almost burned like during the fire last year, I think, and it was closed down for a, lo- a while it reopened. Hit Mount Wilson is beautiful. While you're doing it, I wanted to shout out a podcast. My cousin, Adam, who drew the FCFC logo. Shout out. Shout out, Adam Mr. Wallace. Adam, the dirty boy on Instagram. <laughs> he started a podcast called So Close So Far. And it n- examines distance in Los Angeles through biking and running. And crazy people who you wouldn't expect to be involved in either of those sports. He recently, just to give him one more shout, he recently directed a film called Out on a Wire, which is like a psycho trip, crazy run from uh, Los Angeles to Las Vegas across the desert to see how fast you can go in the speed project. Some of my black and gold running people know what that's all about, so check that out. Shout out to Mr. Is that what Julian was part of? Which one was it called? The speed project? Yes, he was. Yeah. Yeah. So Adam's in TSG. Okay, yeah, so Adam directed a a film about a specific group of people who are doing that, who are like, you know, a little bit edgier than maybe your usual runners. And it's just a really interesting look at a world that often gets glossed over by like, you know, big companies like Nike and Adidas uh, as like this very clean cut thing when it's really not. And it's like, it's, it's got a punk side and it's kind of cool to check out. I also want to recommend uh, Taiwanese breakfast in Los Angeles. Uh, let me, what's the place in Chinatown? Damn it. I remember I, one of the two places I was going to forget. Let me see if I can get the image. Up Today Starts Here. Today Starts Here is the one in Chinatown. That's more of like a modern take on Taiwanese breakfast. You get... Um, today Starts Here. Yeah, you get the uh, the doya, the, the, the soy milk, and you can d- dip in your various uh, Taiwanese breakfast pastries in there. It's a real nice way to start your day. I guess that's why it's today starts here. And then huge tree, pa- huge tree pastry out in SGV has kind of been the classic. And that and Young Ho, both in SGV, are good Taiwanese breakfast spots if you want to remix your breakfast situation. You're tired of eating dim sum or chicken waffles. Didn't we try that spot, Spice, the one in SGV is talking about? Young yeah. Ho? Uh, no, huge tree? Huge tree? Yeah, yeah. 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 We got the, the the cruller, right? That you dip into the yeah, yeah, yeah. the Chinese donut. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there, those are some. I good like this recommendation piece. Yeah. So 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 try some try some Taiwanese breakfast spots out. Last thing I'm gonna recommend is a book, which is uh, for all the people who listen to the yeah, men. We hitting the multi. For all the people now, who huh? listen to the Men in Blazers podcast, which I know there might be some crossover as as football culture lovers. Uh, Roger Bennett, one of the hosts of that, wrote a, a memoir about growing up in England and falling in love with the United States called Reborn in the USA. Mm. It's, it's just a real, it's a fun little okay. book to read about growing up. In, this guy's obsessed with the USA, and he was writing it at a time when, like, America was con- was completely crumbling. And it was interesting to, like, be in the 80s and 90s when, like, a kid from England, like, found so much hope in the U.S. And he actually, if you listen to the podcast, you know he, like, actually became a U.S. citizen and, like, renounced his English side because he... As you'll read in the book, he felt he was an American born in the wrong country, which is an interesting. Mm. interesting so he's trans American. I guess so. Trans pilgrim? 
I guess so. It better be great because he's taking the uh, one of the boss's but, songs there. But, so, but at one at one point he shouts out "Lap Song Su Chong," which is one of the black teas we have on the podcast. So, just for that reason, is I want the to ball guy. It. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Raj Roger Bennett. Have so you? there's a, an easy read, a fun read. Some you know it'd probably be an excellent audio book because he's the whole time I was reading it, I just had his voice in my head mm, from the podcast. Oh, cool. That'd be interesting. Yeah. So check out check out that, and um, I think I think that's gonna be it for tonight, Slimmy. All right, y'all. Thank you once again for joining us on the FCFC pod. That's it for tonight. Bye. Bye. Peace out. FCFC. FC. FC. FCFC. FC. 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 F